Turn with me, would you, to uh, Psalm 139. You can find it, I believe, on page 522 of the Red Pew Bible. The Black Pew Bibles, there would be a, a separate page number for that. This is the middle of that incredible, incredible psalm. If you do, you've never seen this psalm before or had forgotten about it, I invite you to stick a bookmark in there. This would be so worthy of, of several days' worth of, of personal soap studies, Bible studies. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we have, um, we have bookmarks in the foyer to help you open God's Word. But we're going to jump right into the middle of it for a couple of verses here. We're going to pick it up at verse um, 13 in the middle of this incredible statement of David's relationship, King David's relationship with God. He writes, beginning in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none. The NIV puts that slightly different. All the days ordained for me were set apart before one of them came to be. So how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I wake for I am still with you. A couple of days ago was the anniversary of first year anniversary of the death of one of our uh, beloved members and a mother figure in my life. And right in the last days of her life, she highlighted in her Bible these words, I awake and I am still with you. The very word of God. Just stand as we read our New Testament lesson together. Our New Testament reading is coming from the book of Acts, chapter 17. We're starting in verse 22 to 28, and you can find that on page 926 in the Pew Bible. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of you of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
This is the very word of God. Please be seated. In the late 80s, um, um, I'm, I'm stumbling because I was about to say when I was young and foolish, but I think I'm just old and foolish now. When I was younger and foolisher, um, I would take these, um, these man ventures, honestly. Um, I would uh, get in a car and, um, and not really have a plan. Uh, I knew the rough outline of where I wanted to go, but I didn't know where I would end up each, each evening. Um, one such journey was about a 4,000-mile journey around the western states. And I was early in the journey. I was, um, I was in near Prescott, Arizona. There's an there's a outcrop very similar to the Garden of the Gods. A different kind of rock, but very similar, where, where there's these promontories, and they're right next to each other. And I saw them in my rearview mirror. I stopped my car, went back, and, um, and got out of my car. Now, nobody knows where I am, right? Nobody has any idea where I am. Didn't have GPSs, didn't have cell phones that time. And I, um, and I get out and, and, and see these promontories and say, i got to climb those things. It's a disease that I have that I, I'm driving down a road or something. I see something. I say, I got to bag that peak, right? And so, so um, this, this, like the Garden of Gods, is several promontories, one right next to another. And, and I got up on the first one, and just a, a few feet away was another one. And it was about a 30-foot drop maybe uh, in between them, but I could jump that, right? I could jump that real easily. And, and I did. And uh, I think I had my camera bag with me. I had a couple things in my hands or something. And, 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 and felt good about myself and looked, and there was another one. There was another little promontory right next to that one. It was a little farther away, right, a little farther apart. And, and, I, and I jumped and, and got that one. And, and again, I, was, I, was, I thought, felt pretty good. I'm done. And then there was this another one. <laughs> Jane, you can see this coming, can't you? And, and um, now keep in mind, nobody knows where I am. And, uh, and, and I, I jumped for that one, and, uh, and I got it, but barely. And have you ever been in that situation? I don't know how I can do this, but have you ever been in that situation where, where you're clinging to something, and very tight, and every muscle in your body is all tensed, right? And what happens after a while, right? I'm clinging, and pretty soon, pretty soon my legs are starting to, to bounce, right? Every muscle in my body is... Um, is tensed and, and about to give way. And, and then it happens. Well, I'll tell you the rest of that story another time. But <laughs> what? <laughs> Stories are powerful, aren't they? I didn't make that up, by the way. I didn't. I did. I ended up throwing my camera to the other rock and, take, and taking a shot and jumping back. And... Uh, and made it back there and uh, scraped up. I did not fall down. I scraped up on the rock. And I thought, that was stupid, right? That was stupid. But what I wanted, why didn't I tell you that story again? I told it to you once before. Was, um, was the power of stories, right? Um, when people tell stories, did, did any of you think about something else that you might have done along the way? And any, anybody else kind of go, <laughs> everybody's going, no, I'm not that stupid, Pastor Dave. Um, um, the stories draw us in, right? Stories have amazing power. I think that's why I, I'm so drawn to movies. I'm so I'm so drawn to um, is it ballads, the kind of song that that tells a sto- a story in 
in the song. There's, there's just something powerful about it. And, and when, I, when I hear a story, I, I, I find connection points, right? You can be in a room full of strangers and, and, and tell a story, and five or six different people in that room will say, yes, that's, that's my story as well, right? That's my story as well. It was so much fun being uh, with my mom. Uh, my mom is, um, I'm, in a lot of ways, I'm like her, but she's a storyteller. Uh, she never says them out loud. She never tells her story verbally. She writes them down. And she has written over a hundred stories about different things in her life. And one of the reasons that came to my attention was she misplaced those hard copies of those stories in the garage. And if you know me, you know my garage, I get it from my folks. And, uh, and so we went out there. Um, we put on our armor of God and we went out there into the garage to try and, to try and find those stories. But each one is, is an absolutely precious part of her life. That, that when she tells it, she got, for seven and a half years, she got together with a class of, of people at the local junior college, and they would learn how to write their stories, and they would tell their stories to one another, and they got to be this big family, right? Because each of them was drawn into the other person's story. Each person felt like through the stories, they, they knew that person so much better. Stories are powerful because they help us connect to one another, right? We get to know each other. We build friendships by sharing our stories. And we're bound together in those stories by these common themes. Sometimes it's things that we have jointly experienced. Sometimes it's things that we have jointly felt. But, but that's, how, that's how relationship and community happens, by telling common stories together. But, but sometimes... In, in, in telling our stories, we realize that we still yearn for something bigger, for something larger, right? That's what I loved about what, what Brad did with you guys last week. He, he gave us this larger story, right? There's this larger story going on and that, that he invited us into. And, and, and stories help us connect with one another, yes, but they also help us connect to God, right? And why is it that Jesus told so many stories, all of them having some familiar element, some point of contact where people could engage in the story um, because he wanted us to connect with this larger story, this larger story that's God's story. Well, well, our memory verse says that there is power in God's story, right? There is power in God's story. His story from Genesis to Revelation tells us who he is, right? Uh, this, is this is the exact words that Brad shared with you. I wrote them down as I was listening to his message last week. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, Brad said, is one story about God making his name great about God making his name great and his salvation known, right, over all the world. Why? So that he will be great among the nations. So that there will be, and he emphasized, Brad emphasized the so that's, so that he will be great among the nations, so that there will be a multitude of people. Remember Revelation 7 last week? A multitude of 
of people around the throne from every tribe and every tongue, every group of peoples worshiping Him in heaven forever. Wow. There is power in God's story, right? It tells us who who God is, but it also tells us who God says we are. I hesitated to write that in your notes this morning because it's an awkward phrase, but I, want, I don't want to leave out who God says. Because oftentimes we, we think we discover who we are in the stories that we hear, only to find out later that they're not the stories of God. They're, they're false stories of the world telling you who you are. And much pain and heartache comes from believing the wrong stories about ourselves. But God's story tells us who God says we are. Helping each of us to understand our own identity. I want to suggest to you that God's story answers the big questions in our lives, right? Why do we keep repeating the same destructive thoughts and behaviors. Why is that? God's story tells us why. Right? When we find ourselves yearning and longing for something more, God's story tells us why. There's this beautiful, beautiful part of God's story. God has been writing you into his story since before the creation of the world. I'll prove it to you in just a moment from David's story. But God has been writing you into his story since before the creation of the world. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that that we will, as you did last week, we'll spend a little bit of time trying to understand God's story. Trying to to, uh, get the big picture, right, so that we can begin putting the little pieces in in places that are meaningful for us. And and I want to suggest to you in our ever-expanding understanding of the gospel, uh, God's story that that you can define, you can see in God's story four powerful movements. This is not rocket science. For some of you, you're very familiar with this. Four powerful movements in God's story. First, the, the movement of creation, right? In both Genesis 1 and the first verses of the New Testament as well, we learn that God is in the business of creation. He is in the business of creating. And and what God creates is beautiful and good. And sometimes in a rush to get to to literally the crux or the cross of the gospel, we forget that what God intended was really beautiful. It is good. And that, that that beauty is still in everyone that you lay eyes on. No matter who they are or what they've done or what's been done to them, that beauty of God's image is still in them. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Those of you who have, I'm sorry, I'm going to misuse the word, but those of you who have prodigal children, right? Uh, you long, right? You know that that beauty is in them and you long for that time when they're restored back to that created beauty. So, so sometimes we forget that that a critical part of God's story is this creation. Why do we forget it? Because of the second movement, right? Which happens two chapters, three chapters into the book of Genesis, then, then humans who, because they're created in God's image um, and, and this amazing abilities and, and, and giftedness, decide that they don't need God, right? That, that they know better than God. I say they, we know better than God, right? And had Adam and Eve not fallen, that is the second great movement of God, the fall, right? Had Adam and Eve not fallen... 
uh, Dave and Karen would have, right? Uh, and the generations after us would struggle as a result. So I don't have any judgment against Adam and Eve and, and the predisposition I have to brokenness because of their choices, because I would have done the same thing. We, we need, in order to be able to genuinely love God, we have to have the ability to choose not love. Another word for not love is evil. We have to have the ability to choose, and, and most of us, all of us, Choose wrongly. All of us choose wrongly. So, um, so there's this beautiful uh, vision of the gospel of God's created order. And as we shared in the three circle thing, we, we, have, we understand the, the consequences of the fall. How we made choices to be like God and sacrifice that relationship as a result. But then gets to the... the Literally the crux of the gospel and the part that most of us remember and, and until last week, the part that we had been focusing on, and I'm going to call it a long word, I apologize, but redemption, right? That there was a cost to be paid and, and we could not pay it, but the only one who could did. And Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we couldn't live, chose in love, didn't want to, but chose in love to offer himself in our place. I say didn't want to because he said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But in love, he chose to offer himself. And as a result, the power of sin, the power of disease, the power of death has been broken. And so we rightly say we're no longer slaves to sin. We rightly sing that song because that power has been broken over us, right? In a sense, watch this with me. In a sense, through Christ, we are brought back. We are restored, our fourth movement, right? Restoration, we're restored to God's original beauty and plan. And and it's this beautiful part of the gospel that... That we live in that tension of, of restoration being available to us, but us continually choosing to, uh, to turn to our own ways to fall away from God. So this, this amazing story I shared with you a few weeks ago that my father had gotten to a place in his life where he said, I don't really like the Old Testament, I'm just going to focus on the New. Dad, you can't do that. And you don't want to do that, right? Because you can't understand the New Testament apart from the Old Testament, and honestly, you can't understand the full four movements of God's story without the New Testament. Imagine that parts C and D were not there, right? But we are being restored to the beauty of God's creation. It's not complete yet. The power, remember that? The power of sin, excuse me, the penalty of sin has been taken away by what Christ does. The power of sin is, is still uh, present with us, but for the first time in, since the fall, we have the ability to choose not to sin. And, and I sin as much or more than any of you in the room, but if it seems like I live in a way where I'm not under the power of that sin, it's because I know I didn't have to do that. And I praise God, God, forgive me for my sin, but thank you, God, for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for all four of these movements of your story, God, which are being worked out in my life. And one day, sisters, one day, brothers in Christ, one day we will be completely free from that power of sin over us. It's been broken, but we're not completely free yet. 
one day Christ will come again. Remember that? A couple of weeks ago, he appeared to over 500 times. He's going to appear again. One day he will come again and every trace of that sin will be forever removed for us. So there is, there is power in God's story. But I wanted you to see today, if you've closed your Bibles or you, you clicked off of your phone, just open just for one more moment. Again, I apologize. We're not going to unpack it exegetically today. But, but um, one more moment. Look at the power in David's story, right? And we jumped right into the middle of it, but I could have just as easily started at verse 1 of Psalm 39. I could have, David wrote about 40 or 50 of the Psalms in the, the, the book of Psalms. His story is throughout that, the whole book of Psalms, throughout many of the books of the Bible. This power in David's story. Did you see what he said? I'm going to, I'm going to overemphasize cert, certain words in this story one more time. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully... and See, I always gravitate toward I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? But David emphasizes, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, right? Remember, I've shared this so many times, but our dear brother, Gene Rice, passed away maybe 10 or 11 years ago. Um, I, ch- I shared with you, whenever I got out of line, he would just say to me casually, Dave, your eyes are too close together. And I stumbled the first couple times he said it because, uh, gosh, God made me this way. But he meant your eyes, I, your Dave's are too close together, right? Who's the hero? Who's the hero in King David's story, Right? I know I pulled just an excerpt from this massive, uh, amazing testimony uh, from David's life. But who's the hero of his story, right? You. You, God. Do you see how in, in his maturity and reflecting back, even on the amazing challenges of his life, and, and David, if, if you don't know this man, if you don't know King David in the Bible, he was a mess, Amen. He was a mess, and the generational sin as a result of his choices not only destroyed his family, but, but, but destroyed the people of Israel, separated ten tribes. This guy messed up. And God loved him and called him a man after his own heart, right? There's nothing that you can do that is, that is uh, too terrible, too horrible that God's love can't overcome. Some of you, that's all the message that you needed to hear today. But I want the rest of us to see where that's set in David's story. God was the hero of David's story. He created us, right? He searched for us when we wander. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to redeem us. He continues moment by moment to restore us to that created glory. And he is the hero, not just of David's story, but of every story, if we will allow him. So there was power in David's story, but that purpose of that not to go, man, that, that David's story was amazing, right? Um, no, the, the power of the story is so that you can understand that power in your story. There is power in your story when God is the hero of it. Because here's the harsh reality, right? Um, like Gene called me out. Um, I'd like to be the hero of my story. Thank you. Right? 
I want to see my name in the credits at the end, right? And I, you'd think that I would outgrow this, right? But, but, but uh, I'm at a different church service, right? And, 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 and I'm thinking while the person's talking, and I'm, I'm thinking, I would have said that differently, right? Um, silly goose, you know? Do you not know that deep theological con- You know, See what I'm doing? I'm the hero of my story. There's power in your story, but not when you're the hero of it. There's power in my story, but not when I'm the center of it. There's power in our stories when God, like, like David in Psalm 139, when God is the center of that story. That's why I love that amazing story of the Areopagus and uh, the Apostle Paul. He, he understood uh, more than anyone else. I, I'm saying something radical and, and unsubstantiated, but as best I can see, he understood more about the gospel than anybody save Jesus in all the Bible. And yet he humbly, when he's standing before people who are lost, when he's standing before people, he humbly set all that aside and just gently pointed out. Even in their stories, he listened to their story and gently pointed out what they didn't, the missing pieces, what they didn't understand. That all the time in their search for deeper meaning, God had been there and re- revealing himself. So I want to ask you, who's the hero of your story, right? Now, don't despair. This is not a, a judgment here or anything. This is just a simple invitation to, to look again to your story. Remember how when terrible things would happen in your life, you'd go, I, I'm, I'm going to stop believing in God because if there was a God, that would not have happened, right? And then later on, you go, oh, gosh, God, forgive me. That's why that happened. Because if that had not happened, this could not have happened. Forgive me for my arrogance, God. Forgive me for kicking you off the throne of my life and climbing on there and acting like I understood more about eternity than you do, God. I'm not asking you to rewrite your story. Your story is your story. I'd just like to ask you to look back at it again and look for the hand of God. Look for the hand of God in your story, right? God is the center of your story. How can I say that so brazenly? Because he created you. Because he loved you when you turned your back on him. Because he redeemed you through the precious life and death and resurrection of his own begotten son. God is redeeming you even as we speak. But I want to note as well that God is also not done yet. He's, he's writing new chapters to your story. I'm looking back at Jake and Hannah. Well, this last year has been a new chapter, hasn't it? <laughs> Woohoo! I thought I understood parenthood, and now I understand parenthood. Wow. Wow, it's been a, quite an adventure. I've been walking with your parents and, and for them to see their children um, become parents. Just a phenomenal adventure, right? Um, we... we think that we understand our story and then God opens a whole new vista. But he's not done yet. He's still writing this story, which is your life. He's writing new chapters in it. And there are places where God is still waiting in in love and patience where he's still waiting to intersect your story with the power of the gospel. God's waiting to intersect your story with the power of the gospel, but he's waiting for you to let him do that. 
He's waiting for you to say, God, I am helpless. Would you intervene? Would you intervene? Would you show your glory? Would you show your power? as the song we sing. Would you show your beauty, God, right? Would you show your beauty? And remember that the gospel didn't happen 2,000 years ago. The gospel is happening right now. It's happening right now if you will allow. And here's the beauty. Who better to write the next chapters of your story than God who is the perfect author of life, right? Who better? Who better to write your story than God who created you, who formed you, who loves you, who's pleased with you, and who's not done with you yet. So there is power in your story when God is the center of it, when God is the hero. But I I had to add this in here. There's power in your story when you tell it. Right? I'm sorry to scream like that. I don't know why I did that. There's power... There's power. I'm sorry. We do an online uh, training, and, and I ask the people online, am I shouting? They go, yep, you're shouting. Um, um, there's power in your story when you tell it. You have amazing stories. As you go back and look and see God's hand in your life, right? And, and as you're able to, to take your eyes off yourself and to see how he's sovereignly moving in your lives. You have this amazing story, but you've got you to gotta, you gotta tell it. You've got to open your mouth and tell it. And you don't have to, you don't have, to have, a, uh, like my mom, a two-page uh, summary. She like two pages on the car that she was driving in 1954, right? Um, you can do that in a very short amount of time. In fact, I really want to encourage you to have a couple of different versions of your story, the longest of which, unlike me uh, and on Sunday mornings, the longest of which is two or three minutes, right? Because most of the windows of opportunity that you get are not that long. In fact, I want to suggest to you that, that you can tell your story in 15 to 30 seconds. And it might be important for you to have a version of your story that you can tell in 15 or, second, uh, or 30 seconds, right? Can I, can I, you've seen like seven examples of that in recent weeks. Here, I'm so grateful for all of you. I'm looking around the room and seeing you who risks sharing your story. But let me just share with you a version of mine, if I could, in 15 to 30 seconds, right? There was a time in my life when I felt far from God. And, and honestly, I was afraid for my future. But God used the least likely person I ever could have imagined, right? And God used a group of people that I'd never met before, who felt close to him, who didn't feel far from God, who weren't afraid. And through them, I discovered how to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And God set me free from fear. Do you have a story like that? I want to suggest to you that you can't, you do. And, and, and I just want to encourage you to articulate it. Can I just, in the last five minutes that we have here, just share with you a simple way that you can, that you can begin to articulate? Do you, have, do you have kind of like a diagram on, on the back of your thing? You're thinking, what is this? 
Uh, last few weeks, we've been giving you all kinds of tools, and that was an intentional effort to, to help you have tools in your tool belt so that when a given situation arises, like, like someone says to you, um, boy, I, I used to believe in God, but now I'm not so sure. And you've got a 15 or 30 second window where you can say something that might call them back to faith or trust in God to be able to have something at your disposal. So, so you heard in my story just a moment ago, you heard these different elements, but you see we got an intro, we got an arrow which represents your time before Christ, we got a cross symbolizing Jesus and that time when you came into a relationship with Jesus, we got another arrow saying what your life has been like since uh, that encounter with Jesus, and, and then we have a... Um, we have a question at the end just to help you package this. What is the intro? You heard it. You've heard it seven or eight times now in the last few weeks when someone shares their story. They started by saying there was a time in my life, right? And the reason that we put that in there is, is just you don't have to, to uh, try and explain anything. You just say, I once experienced this, right? There was a time in my life. And if I were you, I'd write that under the words intro in there. There was a time in my life. But then just think of, of two words. Think of, of two words that help summarize that time in your life before you met Christ. Right? For me, you might have heard them. They went by very fast. For me, you might have heard the words far from God and afraid. Right? Those, those two simple words um, describe that season in my life. Now, I, I've shared with you before, I didn't have a radical childhood or anything like that. Uh, my parents did a great job of raising me, but I still felt far from God. And I still was afraid. I was living in fear. But then you heard me say those words, but God, right? And, and he did it through, again, uh, a man, Tom, if you're listening, I'm so grateful to God for Tom Schwabauer. A guy who used to irritate the snot out of me in junior high choir. Excuse me for those words. Um, but he did. Okay? And, and, but Tom cared enough about me to invite me to come to his youth group and to sing. And, and so I, um, I went there and I saw all these people that, that didn't feel far from God and didn't, you know, and, and I was astounded. I was astounded. And, and so you think about two words that describe your time before Christ. You think about two words maybe that describe how you came to understand the love of God, right? And, and, and a person and a community were critical words in my story. Someone risked inviting me. And a community risked embracing me. And, and I, I was so proud. It took a long time. But I discovered the love of God through Jesus Christ. I discovered how to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and those two words, so, so faith and no fear are my two words for the back half of that, right? And then, and then a question at the end, right? Because, because um, you gently want to open their lives. Say, what, what's your story like? Did you hear that? Do you have a story like that? I can picture Tom saying that. I can picture Chad saying that. I can picture Becky saying that, right? Do you have a story like that? And then people say, wow, I hadn't thought about it before, but, but yeah, there's times in my life where I felt far from God. And there's times in my life where I, I'm still in my life where I'm afraid, right? God will use your story, not my story, your story to open people's heart 
to the gospel. So I want I want to encourage you. Um, we really challenged uh, our our um, uh, teams last week that were preparing to to share the gospel to make disciples who make disciples. We challenged them to to uh, do a Bible study in their homes. And um, and and uh, I I told my mom and dad at one point I said man I, I have challenged um, I've challenged the people in the in the study groups that I facilitate to sh- to do a discovery Bible study in their homes and is it okay if I do one here and we were right sitting there at the dinner table and they had a little awkward intro there but yeah we'll try that it was beautiful it was amazing how they opened up and I got to hear my daughter say things I I, I just cherish I got to hear my mom and dad. Uh, uh, investigate the scripture in ways I've not seen them do before. I want to invite you. Mm, I want to challenge you to um, to articulate your 15 to 30 second story. What are the two words that describe your life before? Two words that describe how you came to Christ. Two words that describe your life since. And 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 tell somebody. Okay. So here's a, I'm going to pick on these guys. Um, Here's a here's a here's a safe person that you could tell that story to, right? Um, um, it doesn't have to be. I'm not saying go tell it to, you know, somebody you don't know. Tell somebody. Practice telling somebody your story, okay? And if she tells you her story, guess what? You got to tell her yours too, okay? And 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 love. Begin to practice putting to words what God has done. You see all the pieces, God has an amazing story and he's writing you into it, right? Excuse me, that's wrong. He's written you into it from before the foundation of time. But he's still writing new chapters of it, right? He's still in the business of creation. But somewhere along the line, you've got to risk believing that God could use you. Let me end with this. False promises. Let me end with this and and say, uh, so many times in the dark seasons of our life, we hide those things. We hide them. Right, and and because we're embarrassed about them, honestly, um, Chad, I, I I remember so many years ago when you opened your life to a bunch of men in a room, and and, and immediately, I mean, right then, God used you powerfully. And he still uses you to this day because you risk sharing not just the joys of your life, which you share with us on a regular basis, but also the hard things in your life. Every aspect of your life is part of that story, and your hard seasons of life might set somebody else free. Right? Don't be ashamed of the story that God is writing. Trust Him. Believe that, that He's doing something beautiful in you. And, and not only will you, not only will your family, but, but, but whole peoples, whole people groups may stand before the Lord in that, in that Revelation, Revelation 7 vision of glory because you risked sharing your story. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for my sisters and brothers in Christ and how their stories, God, have so blessed me. And, and in so many cases, God, I know we don't know the end of their stories. You're still at work. You're writing new chapters on a regular basis. But God, I thank you that, that they're willing to risk sharing their lives with others. And God, I know that you've already, I just, I just know that, God, you've already put people in our lives who are waiting to hear our story. And wondering who's going to be the hero of our story. Oh God, may our lives be a testament, God, to, to um, the, the greatness of God. And, and may our lives be an invitation 
to others, God, to come and experience the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. So give us courage, God. Remind us, would you, somehow through the week, remind us to risk articulating our story and then give us the courage to tell someone our story. And then, God, I pray that many would be blessed as a result, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we celebrate our stories together?